This is Rakesh Patel, and you're listening to the EB-5 Fix. Hello, and welcome to the EB-5 Fix. My name is Rakesh Patel. I'm managing partner of the Patel Law Group. I'm an EB-5 uh, investor attorney, and I'm joined here by my friend and colleague, Shay Armstrong, who's with Bradley and a deal side attorney. Yeah, so I'm with the Bradley's Dallas office. I'm a partner there, and I'm a deal attorney focusing with a, with a, a specialty in EB-5. And Rakesh, today we have one of my favorite guests that we've had on is uh, Kathy. And, and Kathy, I always butcher names because I'm Texan and I'm half lingual. Uh, and so it's, it's Kathy uh, uh, Newbell Kavarik. Um, and she is probably, in my opinion, has had the single most influential person on EB-5 policies, laws and regulations in the last 15 years. And so her resume um, is, is so incredible uh, that I'm just going to read it, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Please do. So, you know, Kathy is president of Sagita Solutions. It means Aero in Latin, a company that specializes in strategic consulting services, a public policy, you know, excuse me, and public policy, analyzing legislative and regulatory proposals to better inform business decisions and mitigate risks. She's an expert on immigration policy, regulatory actions, and government affairs. Kathy served in the senior executive service at the Department of Homeland, Sur- uh, the Department of Homeland and Sur- Security um, and as chief of staff, most re- recently at USCIS from August 20th uh, to, I'm sorry, August t- 2020 to January 2021. At ICE, she helped manage more than 20,000 employees and contractors, direct day-to-day operations, and oversee more than $8 billion in taxpayer dollars. Uh, she previously served as executive, um, excuse me, acting deputy director and chief of staff. That's at USCIS from November 2019 to August 2020. And as USCIS chief of the Office of Policy and Strategy from April 2017 to November 2019. She also previously served as advisor to DHS Secretary John F. Kelly. Kathy, Kathy also worked for the U.S. Senate for nearly 18 years, most notably as professional staff on the Senate Committee on the Judiciary under uh, Chairman Chuck Grassley. Uh, during that time, she was responsible for coordinating uh, with committee and caucus members on immigration legislation and oversight. Kathy, we're 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 lucky to have you on. I think so that's I think, the show for today. We're done. I, I think Kathy has a little more experience than you and I do. Shay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She does. <laughs> Kathy, would you like to add anything to that, or do you want to? No, thank you for having me. It's it's great to be here. It's. Um... You know, I love talking about EB-5. Once you once you get in that business, it's hard to get out. That's it right. really is. It really yeah. is. But we enjoy it. So go ahead. So, yeah. Hey, is there anything we want to add, Kathy? Um, okay. So to, to our audience, um, policy decisions, how EB-5 works, you're going you're to want to hire Kathy and her team uh, because she has what we would call insider information. Right. Kathy is too humble to admit this, but she essentially wrote most of the laws and regulations and pushed through a lot of the policies on EB-5, which we'll talk about today. So, Kathy, what's your, give us a little bit of background of your legislative experience with EB-5. Sure. So, you know, as, as Shay noted, you know, I worked for Senator Grassley for nearly 18 years um, and doing immigration really starting in 2001, but it wasn't until 2011 that I really dived into EB-5, and that's because someone from the industry came to me and said, we need to be regulated. And I, I was confused, and I thought it was a little strange, and I 
nonetheless, I, I said, okay, let's start asking some questions. And so we had our first EB-5 hearing, I remember in December of 2011, and normally it's just a pro forma hearing. We have people come and brag about the program and how much, how, how much good it does, but we asked some tough questions. And I think that really led to um, legislation with Senator Leahy and working in a bipartisan manner who um, Senator Grassley was uh, co-chair with of the Judiciary Committee. This was also the time of the green tech automotive scandal where green tech was bringing in foreign investors and not a single car was made and the and the and the company eventually went bankrupt um but it, it you know it led us to to want to seek reforms to the program so um you know that finally paid off 10 years later it only took 10 years um <laughs> and that was largely a product of of the work that we did not only in the senate but with our colleagues in the house in a bipartisan manner which is not uh, an everyday thing in immigration to get a bipartisan consensus package done. Absolutely, I, mean, I'm, I know you say it only took 10 years, but I feel like from a political standpoint, that might've been pretty short. <laughs> so, absolutely. So then in, what was that, 2017, you went over into the executive branch, is that right? That's right, I, I left Senator Grassley's office, um, which was hard to do, but working in the executive branch um, under the previous administration, I went to the Office of Policy and Strategy at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. So USCIS's Office of Policy and Strategy is really the regulatory body for the agency. They do the research and the policy development. Uh, we managed the policy manual. We coordinated the strategic plan. And we also did forms and regulations. So our team consisted of economists and researchers and policy uh, experts. And so. Um, at one point, we had 30 rules that we were working on in that agency. Um, they were all priorities, whether it be high tech H-1B to, um, you know, asylum changes. Um, but I was determined to finish the business that President Obama started, um, and that was the EB-5 regulation. So, um, you know, we we took up the EB-5 proposal and we finalized it. We made some small changes, but most notably the the investment level increases um, from 500,000 to 900,000 and then also a million to 1.35 for everyone else. Um, and so it was, the rule was challenged at the end of the day, but not on the merits of the proposal, but more on the technicalities. And so, you know, Congress said that that the secretary could increase investment levels, which had not been done since 1990. So that's what we were attempting to do um, to make sure that the program and the dollar amounts were um, up to present day standards. Let me add just a quick question about that. Um, what was the most difficult part of, of that part of the process for you, or the most challenging, I guess, that that you had to go through as you were as you were working with the executive branch and and trying to get this, I guess, increase in amount along with other um, changes. You know, it's a great question. I you know I I think we could have made very quick decisions and gotten the rule done, but we had so many priorities coming in. Um, and the agency is quite large and, and handles a number of issues. And so it was just a matter of priorita prioritizing the rules and making sure we got the support of, of everyone above us. Um, what are you most proud of when it comes to the RIA, RIA and, and the changes that have, that have come forth? 
So I think that uh, obviously the investment levels, um, I'm glad that they are finally increased. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of benefits to rural and uh, underserved or underemployed areas, which was um, a big driver in what Senator Grassley wanted to do. There are places in Iowa that really work hard to try to recruit um, and retain businesses and and they aren't even on the radar of foreign investors. And so we know that um, a lot of the money was going to New York and Miami and Texas and California, but uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, there were projects across the country and that rural areas were being served. So that's that was a big um, uh, big satisfaction of the of the legislation. But not only that, but the compliance and enforcement mechanisms and the tools that we gave to the agency to deter and detect fraud, the creation of an integrity fund to help fund those. Um, those efforts, the site visits, you know, requiring of audits, um, and and frankly, more more disclosures to investors. Well, as 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 practitioners, everyday practitioners in EB five, both on the deal and and uh, investor side, we appreciate it a lot because we can be clear with clients. And I think a lot of what challenges that I run into on the investor side, and I think Shay, you could talk about it, is is that. We, you know, clients will ask us certain questions on, well, when, are, when is X going to happen? When is Y going to happen? And under previous situations, I don't know that I had an answer that was clear. Um, and I feel like I have a better guideline now and, and due to all of your efforts that that at least we can communicate better to what, what we're, we're doing clients. What do you think? Yeah, and I think the, the, the my clients that are project sponsors, they're good faith actors. And they want to see, they want to be able to show their investors the audited financial statements or the fund administrator. Yeah. And it just, it's a coverage for everyone in the industry. And I think it's doing what it's supposed to do and to keep out bad actors. Yeah, it's it's just interesting. And I think, you know, when you talk about EB-5, you're, you're looking at, you know, what I what I tell the investors and if we're dealing, we're, we're talking to the clients the first time, Shay and I, and we're talking to the developer, you know, we want the investor to get a green card. That's that's the ultimate purpose for the investor, and you know the, the developer's not going to look good if they don't follow the rules, and the, the investor's going to be upset if they don't, you know, get a green card. And and to have a set of standards that actually makes sense to everyone that you're explaining to really helps. And it's really important, I think, to note that the the good guys are those who care about their investors, and you can see yeah. that through with some regional centers and some players in there. Um, others, not so much. Yeah, and I think Kathy's efforts, we're seeing it happen right now. I mean, it took 10 years, right? But uh, her efforts, like we're seeing a level playing field happen. Like I have four rural, I have as many rural projects on my desk right now as I do really cool urban infield projects. So it's working. And then and people are actually, you know, they're not going to downtown Manhattan or Highland Park in, in Dallas, which, you know, we all knew that that's probably not where the intention of, of EB5 was originally, that people are coming to us with projects outside of DFW, which needed it. And it's it's really cool to hear it. I actually enjoy the projects more. I think the investors enjoy the the idea of the projects more. So I think it's just been better so far. So we appreciate it. We appreciate all your efforts. So uh, Kathy, before we actually got started, Rakesh gave me a stern lecture about staying in question order. And the first <laughs> question, I look at him and that's why we were crossing off changing names. So I, I failed on the first question. Sorry, Rakesh. No, that's okay. Uh, so the next question I have for you, you know, it's playing Monday morning quarterback. Are there things that you'd like to see in the in, in this new law that weren't there or any changes to be made? I don't know. 
you know, it's always hindsight is always 2020. And I, I think that um, we thought we had a great bill. I know there's been some confusion. I wish, you know, every bill that became law was so perfect um, that we didn't have to play that Monday morning quarterback. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, I I would have gone back and really taken a harder look at the disclosure of fees um, and to ensure that investors were properly protected and adequately protected. I think also, you know, just having more rules around third party promoters. Um, I think I don't I think it's difficult for people on the inside and policymakers to understand what's going out there, uh, going on out there. And I think we would have investigated that a little bit more and probably had some more finer rules around that to protect investors. Do you think that that would have even been possible unless you got to this point in the first place? It's almost like, you know, like you said, you want to play Monday morning quarterback, but in, until we get there, you're not going to know what the next step would be. Yeah. So and, and with this industry, it's always changing and there are new games being played and we're seeing that played out today. I think we we see that so yeah that's it, it people are creative <laughs> let's just put it that they or they try to be creative um let me ask you this this is a question that i'm getting um quite a bit is you know there's been so much uncertainty over eb5 over the last several years one of the questions that we're getting is as well you know the program is is extended for several years it's supposed to be good until 2027 um, is it going to stay the same? Is it going to change on me in the middle? Is Congress going to do something where they stop the program? How can I feel confident with it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the industry has to behave in order for there to be another extension. So I, I don't think anything is certain. I think there are always people asking questions and there will be um, some opposition to extending this in the future. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think people are wondering how to amend it and make it better. Um, but I think that there can be an argument uh, that this program is in line with our merit-based uh, ideals. You know, we, we've we always leaned towards a, uh, an immigration system that is promotes self-sufficiency, at least my side of the aisle has. And so we want to give preference to those, um, and even the law states that we should use or consider certain factors such as education, skills, um, age, health, those are all things that we should look at. And I think that this is in line with that merit-based um, philosophy. And so I think um, it, if, if you keep communicating that, I think you'll have a better chance of having an extension. But again, it all depends on the behavior of the industry from now until 2027. That'll be interesting to see as, as, as we've all seen in the past, not everybody behaves the same, unfortunately. So now you're on the consulting side in the private sector. How are you monitoring the program, um, the, the implementation of the program, and what are you seeing if you are? It's hard not to monitor it because I feel like it's, you know, one of my babies and I've, you know, I want to see how the law is being implemented. Um, so I do still monitor uh, the policy debates surrounding EB-5. And, you know, given my experience on the inside, I, I also know the team on the inside. Um, I know they're committed to making sure they make the right decisions. And the agency is always challenged, um, you know, through lawsuits, especially by the industry when they don't get their way. And that's frustrating to people on the inside. And so I think they try really hard because they don't want those challenges. Um, and But I envision them 
putting together some harsh new rules that the industry is not going to like um, going forward. What what would you do if you're on the inside working on new rules as we move forward? So, you know, I, I, as I did when I was on the inside, I always convened, um, you know, an expert group of people from the policy side to the operations, to the fraud detection uh, directorate, to the lawyers. And you have to have a team that knows what they're doing and what they're talking about, people who um, want to make a difference. And so um, I would convene that first and foremost. And, um, you know, it's not an easy process. Uh, Policymaking and rulemaking is very deliberative and it takes a lot of time. And so I think um, I think that's what they're doing right now. Um, but what I would tell the agency, something I, I wish I would have done a little bit more, um, and that is to do smaller um, groups, uh, you know, sessions with the industry, focusing on certain issues that may be complicated. I would not do an, uh, one large rule that tries to implement the law. I would do a variety of rules, um, especially so they withstand um, court challenges. So that's the first thing I would do is have um, smaller rules. And then the second thing is those smaller group meetings with industry. Um, I think that there are people on the industry that um, mean well and they want to have a dialogue with industry. And and that's very clear. You can see from stakeholder engagements that USCIS has. um, But USCIS spends the entire time talking and there's no time for really meaningful questions and answers. And I think that that the agency really should sit down with experts um, and including investor groups to talk about the policy implications and solutions, because I think that's what's going to create a more durable and sustainable rule going forward. Let me ask you this. I, obviously, 2027 is is four years away, but in, in our world, it's around the corner. Um, do you think these conversations and these meetings need to start happening yesterday, essentially? I do. And I think um, I, I think they are having some mean, um, meaningful conversations. But unfortunately, it's with those who sue the agency and that's how they're getting their way. I think that the agency has to take a different approach to making sure that they come out with rules that that work. Um, because they're not experts. You guys live this day in and day out, and I think they should listen to people who who are in the program every day. Yeah, we see a lot. I mean, we see a lot of great folks going through the program, and and you know, we've even seen it in the past where they don't feel like they're heard. Um, and you know, unfortunately, the new rules that come out sometimes they feel like they're still not being heard. And, and so we're, we're really appreciative that there's people like you, especially yourself, fighting on behalf of, of what needs to be done and not just what is there. Kathy, uh, it's great to have you, number one. I mean, there's not more of a DC EB-5 policy insider than Kathy. Yeah. So call her. Uh, we'll provide her information. Um, but any final points, Kathy, would you like to make on, on the program or what you're up to? You know, just as I, as I noted earlier, is just... You know, I, I think that there are a lot of good, worthwhile, valuable projects out there. And I think a lot of the good guys in the industry are trying to make that happen. Um, you know, t- the program needs to work, um, but it also needs to prove to Congress that it's behaving, like I said. So um, 
you know, they're going to have an uphill climb extending it if, if it's if there's sour stories or stories where investors are duped. Um, so I would just say, you know, uh, keep up the good work, keep up the good projects and uh, and there shouldn't be a problem. Well, we appreciate it, Kathy. We want to thank all the listeners for listening and um, stay tuned for our next episode of EB5 Fix. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.